Hey everybody, it's Justin Shackle welcoming you to episode 36 of Tone the Slab, Pitching with David Cohn. It is a deep dive into pitching each and every week with the five-time World Series champion and the Cy Young Award winner, David Cohn, our master researcher, James Smythe, and myself. And we are a quarter of the way through the baseball season. That is wild to think about. And with that, it's, it's a great time to kind of look into certain pitching trends around the game, both collectively and individually guys there is a certain trend that is making me the the pitching traditionalist here pretty happy over the last week or so and really over the last month with may nearly being over here but guys uh david james how was the weekend for you guys good you know busy busy weekend little rain out with the yankee game friday night pushed us to a double dip on sunday so we had a long day yesterday and you know, if you're on the Yankee side, a little disappointing, get swept in that doubleheader Sunday. Maybe we should have played Friday night, right? I mean, you're always worried about doubleheaders, you know, no matter what, on either side. They're usually generally split traditionally, you know, they, uh, split the baby on a doubleheader, but there is always that danger to get swept. And for the White Sox, it was a big lift for them to finally stand up to the Yankees after the Yankees kind of mowed through them in, in Chi-Town in the previous series. So good for the White Sox, not so good for the Yankees on Sunday. Yeah, all, all good over here. I, I was only working one game uh, for the doubleheader. Coney was Coney was the one doing double duty. Did you actually have to change booths? Because you, you did the first game on Sunday for Amazon Prime and then Sunday Night Baseball. I was there as well. I don't know how the setup was in the press box. Did you physically have to leave one booth and go to another? We did. Yeah, right next door. ESPN had already set up. They gave ESPN the visitor side booth. And then the visitors, uh, the, the White Sox were moved uh, to another uh, a booth uh, on the press box level. There was an open booth there. There's several booths down the line for radio and visitors television, the Yankees home booth. So there was enough room for everybody. But, yes, it was one booth over for, for Sunday Night Baseball. Did you have a chance to change your shirt? Because it was really hot for the first game. I did not. I just took off my tie because we're a little more relaxed on Sunday Night Baseball this year. And. You know, and I think that's kind of nice. It's a baseball game, right? I mean, I understand there's different theories on this, James. Uh, you you know it well, and Shaq, you do as well as, you know, sort of a true professional broadcaster here. Uh, some people are really formal about that. You know, the inside industry, they want you wearing a tie. You know, it's very, you know, whether it's for the open or not, even though we're not seeing that much on television. But I kind of like a little more relaxed feel. And, you know, makes makes it uh, makes it easier to dress before the game. You don't have to worry about a tie. Yeah, there's certain aspects to like the TV broadcast when when you're doing that open that everyone sees at the top of the broadcast where they have the shot in the booth with all the commentators kind of setting the game up. And then right after that, if you think about it, you're really not on camera the rest of the way. Do you yank the tie off right after that open is recorded? No, but I did one year, a couple of years ago, it was so hot. You know, I, I ended up taking my tie off and using it as a headband because I was sweat sweating like a <laughs> like a pig. So, yeah, I mean, that, that was an interesting day when you're using my tie for a headband. But that didn't go over so well. I only did that once. And that, that was it. I remember that one. So with that double header at Yankee Stadium on Sunday, Yankees and White Sox, the, between the two games, you had all four starting pitchers do terrific jobs. Johnny Cueto, Michael Kopech, you had Jamison Tyone, and Luis Severino. And it kind of blends into something that I want to discuss briefly here before we get into the opener, because it's making me really excited on potentially where we could be headed here for the rest of, of 2022. And I know in the past on this podcast, we've talked about how this really is the best time for pitching. Relief pitching has never been better. I agree with that. But there is a trend that I noticed on Sunday and also seeing that kind of made me do a little deep diving into the starting pitcher usage for the entire month of May and where we could be headed. But Sunday alone, guys, there were 11 pitchers who completed seven full innings. I'm going to run them down. Zach Eflin, Logan Gilbert, Shane Bieber, Sandy Alcantara, Brady Singer, Austin Gomber, Taiwan Walker, Patrick Sandoval, Tyone, Severino, Michael Kopech. I mentioned Johnny Cueto. He completed six innings, did a great job with those six innings, but it wasn't seven. And then you had Nathan Avaldi and Jose Urquidy pitch six and two thirds. So I enjoy that. I think the starting pitcher is a marquee position. I've said that before. And uh, this was a big day for the starting pitcher. Now, how it 
relates to the context that we're going to touch on later in this podcast about the starting pitcher usage. Uh, it's, it's an interesting number because it's a trend that's kind of flipping around potentially, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Do, do you think there's anything to that though, guys, when, when, when you think about uh, how, how the starters have been used over recent weeks and what we've come to see on days like Sunday? I think there definitely is something to it. Obviously, going back to the shortened spring training, relievers have kind of, I wouldn't say gotten overused, but I think managers are very leery of, of, you know, as we said, at this quarter point of the season, the rosters are going back down. They're going to go down again. Uh, even though you do have a couple of extra pitchers in the bullpen on average, yes, there there is a, a, a tendency to to push your starters through that third time in the order a little bit more. And I had this conversation with Oliver Marmol, the, the manager of the Cardinals recently, a couple of weeks ago, we were in St. Louis and I asked him that question. And he said, look, uh, the data says this, you know, I would take out every pitcher before the third time through the order. And the data is pretty clear on this sort of a thing. And, but he said, no, I, I need to, to, to use more than the data. I, I definitely do use my eye test. How he's throwing is, is he laboring? What's the state of my bullpen? Have they been overused? And generally speaking, there's been a lot of usage of bullpens in the first six weeks of the season here. So, yeah, it, it is a trend. It's something managers are pushing back on. It's not just about data. There is more to, more to it than meets the eye. And if you have a starter that can give you extra innings here and there, what a boost that is for your entire team, for your bullpen. You can rest a guy an extra day. Uh, your high leverage guys, it, it has a residual effect. That's hard to quantify. So, yes, it, it, it's a great pickup, Shaq. Well, I think the, the most important thing is that in a, in a lower run scoring environment, the starters are pitching better. So it's easier to make that call when your guy has only given up, you know, one run or no runs in the first six innings and say, oh, you know what, I can't, I, maybe I can push him in another inning and maybe he hasn't run as, as high a pitch count as he normally would have in a higher run scoring environment. The pitch efficiency is really picked up. It's really noticeable. And that eye test making a, a quiet comeback here, fellas, as we get through the second month of the season. But David, like you mentioned, as we, as we begin the opener here, this is kind of a time where change could be incorporated, right? There are certain things that may not be going right for your pitching staff or an individual pitcher. It could be time to make changes. It's also a time to kind of reflect on how well teams are doing, what got them to this point as they sort of flourish maybe in the standings or within their own pitching staff. But here we are 25% of the way through the season. And there's a lot to uncover. Well, there really is. I mean, it's still kind of a bi-coastal story. The Yankees and the Mets and the, and the Dodgers and the angels are, are very interesting to follow this year, especially the angels. Are, are, is this the year they finally break through their, their lineup looks deeper than it's ever been. You know, Otani and, and Trout have some help. They have some friends aboard out there. Uh, their pitching is better than you think it is, certainly the Angels. But there's other stories, too. Houston Astros, they're still the Houston Astros, and they're tough. That's a really good team. Um, the White Sox, big sweep yesterday, kind of pushed, going to push in the Central, and the Minnesota Twins, a resurgent Gary Sanchez, shall we say, in, in, in Minnesota. And it just shows you that at the catching position, if you get any offense at all out of the catching position, it's, it's a real surplus value for any team. And Sanchez is kind of – Providing that uh, it was the argument with the Yankees all those years. So Minnesota and the White Sox are certainly something to watch. Milwaukee. Wow. We talked about them. We've had, you know, we've got some friends of the podcast. We've had them on, on that pitching is just fantastic. Maybe the best starting rotation in the game. And of course, Josh Hader at the end of the game. So under the radar, Milwaukee watch out. Uh, but yes, it's an interesting year. The uh, National League East is, 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 Really interesting to me, too, when you look at uh, the Mets kind of got an eight-game lead now. The Braves in their second half last year, you, you can't give up on them. Every year, James, we get reminded of, man, it's a long season, and it's easy to fly off the handle and come to conclusions, and fan bases get all up in arms about trends and ebbs and flows of the season. A long way to go. 25% was a nice sample size to look at, take inventory, but wow. You know, every year we need that reminder of, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's, you know, insert an old uh, cliche, you know, the, the tortoise and the hare, you know, the, the, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You know, those sorts of things are, are, are constant reminders of, of how long that season really is. But it's great that we're at this point 
the, these tentpole parts of the season, Memorial Day, qu- around a quarter of the way through the season, that's you know, when the first time you can really start looking at the standings and see how are, how are the races shaping up, who's really out of the gate, who's struggling, who can you know, trim the gap. You know, the White Sox, maybe they finally start getting healthy. It's a four-game lead in the Central. Minnesota's not going to run away and hide. Maybe that becomes a race. The Mets with their lead in the East, like you mentioned, but with their injuries, can someone like the Braves jump up and, and, and make a run at them? So we're getting to that point in the year where now we can actually see some of these races developing almost two months into the season. David, I'm wondering, does this point – or is it more than just a time of, of reflection for, for us as, you know, as fans at, at the 25% mark that this tentpole portion of, of the season as a pitching coach, obviously we're, we're dealing with pitching here. Is this the time where you kind of say, all right, time to make some changes here. When it talk, when, when you're talking about guys who have struggled out of the gate, yeah, I know. It's an interesting point. You know, it, it's okay. You've got problems. You've got uh, deficiencies. You start to take inventory of your team. How can we improve? What changes can we make? And most of the time, the changes are internal at this point. You have to do your own system. This is a time where you're evaluating your own system. Who's doing what in the minor leagues? Because that's the quickest change you can make. If you try to go on the trade market at this time of year, you're going to get taken advantage of because it's usually a sense of desperation. General managers sense that, oh, you really need to add a starting pitcher. You've been hurt. You go on the market, you get held hostage this time of year. It's not time for the trade deadline trades. You know, there's, there's more, you got, you got to kind of ride this out and solve all your problems internally, because if you do uh, have to go out and try to make a trade, it's going to be really difficult to do so. Let's take a picture that, obviously is performing more close to our wheelhouse than others. And that's Yankees closer, Aroldis Chapman here. He has allowed runs to score in five straight appearances. Now that's the longest streak of his career. He's also apparently dealing with an Achilles injury, which raises eyebrows kind of makes you wonder why he's out there to begin with. But David, for a guy like Aroldis Chapman, a guy who's off to a bumpy start to this season, where do you start in terms of changes? How do you begin to search in terms of, of mechanical adjustments, take us, take us to the Coney school of pitching here. Like give us, give us a boilerplate approach. If there is one for old Chapman. Yeah. I think the Yankees have a pretty good handle on Chapman in terms of making adjustments in the past. And if you remember Matt Blake uh, talked to, about a specific t- mechanical adjustment they made with Chapman last year when he was kind of crouched over more, they got him to stand up in his posture to get him more upright and that really helped him almost. It was immediate dividends where he got command of his fastball again and started driving through his fastball, getting better rotation, better spin, and overall better control of that pitch. He's kind of regressed in terms of his fastball. And this is a guy who's the Cuban missile. This is a guy who's a legendary fastball pitcher, and he's kind of lost confidence in his fastball. Now, with that being said, the Achilles sort of thing that he's dealing with is news. It was news. We didn't know about that. The first we heard of that was uh, from Aaron Boone, who, who kind of sort of dropped it out there in, in the post-game press conference. So if that's the case, now you're wondering how much is that impacting his command and his control. It's his left Achilles. That's your push-off one, your push-off leg for a left-handed pitcher. That's really important. That could have an impact on his command and his control. But the problem that bothers me with Chapman is you see him throw one to the backstop, a fastball, and then the next one's in the dirt. So the adjustment mechanisms mechanically are way off there. The radar is way off on his fastball. And you find out early, the next thing you know, he starts throwing slider after slider or starting to mix in splitters. And and I I applaud that because I like weapons. I like unpredictability to be able to throw something else for a strength than your fastball. But if your fastball is non-existent, that's a problem for Aroldis Chapman. And they need to figure that out, whether it's health related or mechanically related. You got to get him back to the drawing board. Find out the way he sets up. His setup is the key, the way he starts. Uh, the only way I can say it is like golfers, basketball players, basketball players that shoot on the move. That is like one dribble and then a shot kind of gets some rhythm going. For a golfer, it's a pre-shot routine. How you start the movement. It's very hard, hard to start, even in boxing, Shaq. It's very hard to start from a static position in order to do a power move. There's some sort of initiation trigger. It's a gathering for a boxer. It's, it's a rearing back and a punch. Uh, for a hitter, it's kind of a, a little bit of a load 
for Chapman, it's in that load mechanism that, that, that starts that initiates his, his, his movement pattern that I see a problem with. It, it looks really inconsistent to me. It looks like he's really feeling for it. His tempo's a little off because of that. So if you're uncertain about everything, how you start, how you initiate your sequence of movements uh, it really is the place to go to. And, I, and that's where I see a problem with Chapman right now. As great as a role as Chapman's been throughout his career, he's arguably on a, on a Hall of Fame path for a closer in the major leagues. Why does it kind of feel like this is something that pops up annually with him? Is it something that is tough to repeat because of his build? Can, can you put a finger on why we seem to be revisiting something similar to this on a yearly basis for a pitcher as talented as a role as Chapman is? You see this with a lot of pitchers and high velocity pitchers. The, his motion is so dynamic. The way he coils, his hip rotation, his drive, uh, the, the arm speed that he generates over the years. I mean, that's one thing can go out of whack when you're that that type of high velocity pitcher that can really send you uh, down 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 the wrong path, so to speak. So I think it's a combination of a lot of variables. But yes, the way he coils, the way he turns. And the way he unloads those hips, unwinds his hips, is really dynamic. And that action could get thrown off here because he does do it so quickly. He is so strong. He's a su su superb athlete, high-conditioned high athlete, high stress, and a lot of moving parts in that delivery. A, a, lot, a lot of action going on that if one part gets thrown off, then, then there's a domino effect throughout his delivery. And then the other part we're not talking about is emotionally. How does Chapman feel about himself? I think I said that on the broadcast yesterday. It's, the most important thing is how he feels about himself, meaning confidence. Confidence is so fleeting for the best of athletes. You kind of sense with, with the role, just, if he throws a couple of fastballs he doesn't like, he gets away from it right away. It's almost as if, okay, that's not working today. I'm just going to give up on it. So that, that's a trouble. That's a red flag for me is, you know, a guy who's got a legendary fastball is so quick to give up on it early in his outings. Uh, that to me is just troublesome. And not only would he abandon the fastball, but the, the slider is getting hit this year, which is usually never the case. Uh, so far this year, six for 18 with four doubles and only two strikeouts against that slider for Chapman. And for somebody maybe not watching Yankees baseball, you see that they have the best record in the majors. We're recording this podcast on Monday, the 23rd. They have the best record in the majors. You may think, oh, well, they've, you know, I've kind of paid attention from afar. They don't seem to have any real problems that have popped up. It's kind of changed a little bit in recent days, particularly with the, the back of the bullpen. Um, they're, away from the bullpen, there may be a suspension coming for, for Josh Donaldson. That may be coming very shortly. But then with the relievers, you just lost Chad Green, who needs Tommy John surgery, one of the most durable relievers in the big leagues over the last six seasons. His loss kind of accentuated on Sunday night with Jonathan Lewisica's ineffectiveness to start the season. And that was a guy who was lights out in 2021. That hasn't been the case so far in 2022. Compound that with Chapman struggles. How concerned should fans be with the back of the Yankees bullpen? Again, everything seems pretty rosy on the surface, but problems for the first time in 22 are starting to pop up. It's a great point. Yes, the, the, there's some underlying issues there that are boiling, that they're just now starting to surface. Uh, I really believe internally they're going to have to make some adjustments. And the guy I go to is Michael King. How are we going to use Michael King? He's such a weapon. Are we overusing him, trying to keep him stretched out? Uh, you know, that, these are the um, tough questions that only internally that, that we, if you're privy to the inside information that you can make educated decisions on. But Maybe he moves to more a more often high leverage guy rather than a three inning guy or let him roll. Every time Michael King comes in the game, it's kind of let him roll. Maybe he'll even finish this game, three innings or whatnot. Let's keep him stretched out. Maybe that's not the best way to use him. Maybe you need to use him in shorter bursts more often. Or otherwise, maybe he's better off in the rotation. It, it, what's the future for Michael King? He's so valuable that, that they're reluctant to put him in the rotation. And yet, but at the same time, if he pitches three innings when he's used, then he's gone for two or three days. And if, if he's gone for two or three days, is that enough rest? Because three innings, 50 plus pitches is almost like a start. 
So, uh, you know, what's the, there's not a lot of basis for comparison for a guy that's you're kind of keeping stretched out like that. It's not a multiple inning reliever. It's a three inning guy. That, that's a little different than two innings. And so that, that's what I kind of wonder is maybe Michael King's better suited now pushing him to the seventh, eighth high leverage innings and using him more often, maybe in one inning spurts or at the most, maybe two innings. It's crazy how quickly a bullpen can go from no problems at all, complete juggernaut to something shaky is going on just because of one or two things. Green's injury is brutal, both for the Yankees and personally for Green, as you've mentioned uh, before, Coney, with, with Green being a free agent at the end of the year. Chapman lost in the woods, and Loisaga has had some puzzling struggles to start the season, depending on your worry level on all these things. It's just strange how you have Holmes and King carrying the pen, and then you got a bunch of question marks elsewhere. Guys, sweaty sack summer is a real thing, and it is approaching. And it is time for you to prioritize the comfort of your crotch. That's why the kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, they have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs in the game. I recently received my first pair. They are super breathable. That's the thing that jumped out to me the most. And I wear some pretty snug pants. It's just my style. It's what I do. But the briefs are cool. They are breathable throughout the entire wear so it's day and night and manscaped even trademarked the jewel pouch so you know it's serious when you have a certain section of your underwear that is trademarked something like underwear in the hot summer is a matter that we all need to pay attention to it's self-investment because it affects how you feel and you want to feel great so let that bulge feel great and breathe comfortably now you can get 20 percent off and free shipping by using code slab at manscaped.com the al east is is fascinating because you see the yankees jump out to this big lead this terrific start but man there are a lot of teams still within shouting distance and we talk about this being the the quarter point of the season the rays are one of the best teams in the american league toronto i think hasn't met expectations but you always have to take them as seriously as possible because those dynamic hitters can kind of flip the switch at any point coming along here with the schedule, but a team like the Red Sox, we were talking about them a couple of weeks ago and how are you going to fix this team off to a terrible start? They were in last place. Well, all of a sudden they begin winning. They've won five in a row. Now Um, there, there are only three games under 500. They're playing a much better. And then David, you were talking about the analyst as well a little bit earlier with the Mets in their lead right now at eight games over the Braves, but Atlanta has proven They can kind of find a solution, turn things around, even at later points in a season. When you look back at their run last year, specifically the Braves and the Red Sox, two teams who started poorly. They've kind of picked it up lately. They're playing better. The Red Sox a little bit better than Atlanta. If you compare those two teams, well, which squad do you believe is showing its true identity at the moment? Well, I think the Red Sox offense is, is there and Trevor story waking up in a big way, certainly extends that lineup, but they have some great hitters, Rafael Devers, JD Martinez, Alexander uh, Bogarts, Xander Bogarts at shortstop. I mean, wow. He's just done it year in and year out. Just great, great hitters. Trevor story added to it. If Verdugo gets it going, they still have the potential to have a, a really good offensive team. They're tough at Fenway park. Questions about the bullpen still remain. The overall pitching of the Red Sox certainly is still a question, but that offense is for real. And if Trevor Story's coming along for the ride, watch out. That, that They're going to do some damage. They're hard to na- navigate. The problem, I think that they're similar divisions with the American League East and the National League East. They're similar in that there's a pretty, pretty good depth in, in both divisions. Uh, there's teams that are going to kind of bang heads. You know, the Phillies are going to bang heads. They have a great offense similar to the Red Sox. Um, if you look at uh, Atlanta, kind of similar to, you know, maybe Toronto, you know, they've got a lot of talent. Uh, I see some parallels in the National League East and, and the American League East. And I think the, the thing is, is that um, you know, th- there's going to be some cancel outs, some bumping up heads, so to speak. So when you get an early lead like this, it matters. You know, Yankees can play 500 ball and, and still have that 15 game you know, over 500 cushion going that they have now. That means something. That's why you, you get the old saying really is true. The, the, some cliches have a lot of truth in them. 
you can't win the division in the first 25 or first month of the season, but you can lose it. Well, the Yankees have a nice cushion. It's not everything, but it's certainly in this division, when you think that teams are going to bang heads all year, it, it does matter. Wins in the bank. And uh, I'll go with Atlanta, maybe just because I was, and I think you guys were too, higher on Atlanta going into the season than we were on Boston. And Atlanta's still, they're treading water and it goes to show it, it's hard for a depend, defending champ out of the gate. And you know this well, Coney, how, how teams can uh, coming off the World Series can kind of uh, sputter out of the gate. Atlanta, interesting. They have not won three in a row and they have not lost three in a row this year. Very strange. And both the Braves and the Red Sox currently at 19 and 22 at the time we're recording this. I wanted to touch on this item. I guess it was a little bit further down on the uh, item list here, gentlemen, but just keeping the continuity here, talking about the AL East, the Baltimore Orioles, they're a last place team at the moment, but there was some promise over the weekend. And I'll tell you what, Camden Yards was packed for the major league debut of Adley Rutschman. He was obviously the, the top rated catching prospect, the top rated overall prospect in baseball. He has Made his big league debut. He's going to be at Yankee Stadium, his first road series against the Yankees coming up this week. I'm curious, though. It was something that I thought about immediately after they brought him up. As a rookie catcher, now trying to learn about big league life on the fly in the middle of the season. This isn't something that happened right before opening day where you have a full 162 ahead of you after spring training. How much of an obstacle is having a rookie catcher learning day-to-day for the pitchers who are working with them day-to-day? In the past, it would have been much more difficult, not as much information. Nowadays, there's so much video. It's easy to, to check out a picture in 20 minutes you know, on your iPad, you know, as opposed to 20 years ago when you had to rely on scout reports and talk to the, the pitcher and try to get the sequence right on how he likes to go about it. So much more information, a little bit easier to assimilate nowadays. Rushman's really smart kid. You know, he's been a leader his whole life. It seems like, you know, per, great college career. The minor leagues were just a, a stopping place for him. Just, just to get him prepped for the big leagues. Now he's there. You know, it's interesting. It's time to maybe bring some of the younger pitchers up. Grayson Rodriguez along for the ride that he knows already that he, he caught in the minor leagues. I think it's time to kind of get that movement going. Rush, you know, Rushman's the, Rushman's the, uh, He's the leader. He's the guy that's going to be your rock of your franchise, you know, a, a guy you can build around. Now it's time to bring, okay, let's bring those young pitchers up too and, and get them going. And the Baltimore is going to be an interesting team. They're not giving away wins like they were last year. Uh, they're much better uh, pitching wise uh, in their bullpen. Overall depth of their pitching is much better this year than it's been in years past. The Baltimore's a team to watch. There's not going to be that, uh, oh, we got to take advantage of Baltimore. You got to win all your games against Baltimore. Whoever wins the most games against Baltimore is going to win the the Eastern Division, as it was in last year and the last couple of years. Is you know, and that's one thing I like about next year: the balanced schedule. We're not going to be talking about these things next year about oh, you really got to you got to got to beat up on the worst team in your division, and that's the decision maker, or that's the that's the identifier for who's going to win the division. That's going to be a thing of the past next year. The Orioles are in last place, but. They're not a, a bottom feeder, like you said, Cody. And, and Trey Mancini, who's been there for a long time, has talked about how even just the vibe around the team feels different. And that was before the, the Rutschman call-up the other day. So I think this is, like you said, the, the start of a, a new era in Baltimore. Yeah, you have Grayson Rodriguez, D.L. Hall waiting in the wings. I think these young pitchers, you mentioned Rutschman as well. You know, you may see – the growing pains that are natural, especially at this big league level, but you're going to see a lot of raw talent mixed in. And that's going to be the difference between games that other teams who have higher expectations should be potentially winning or losing. They're going to make a difference. They're going to matter a lot more than they have in recent past. Two teams that are in first place right now, they've lost probably their top names of their pitching staff, maybe not their best pitchers, so to speak, but the top names and guys who have been pitching very well. We're talking about the Dodgers with Clayton Kershaw, the Mets with Max Scherzer, both pitchers on the injured list, fellas. Kershaw actually went home to Texas because he had a setback with his back injury. doesn't sound like he'll be throwing again anytime soon. 
but there's a lot of ambiguity around both these guys, Jacob DeGrom as well. No word on whether he's, you know, when he's going to be starting a, a program, so to speak, to get uh, back to a major league mound. Scherzer, I guess you could say is a little bit more clean cut at the moment. Initial time frame with his oblique strain, six to eight weeks. But both guys have been pitching well in Kershaw and Scherzer. Which team needs their guy back faster, the Dodgers or the Mets? Mets. <laughs> I think that's an easy answer. The Dodgers are loaded. Uh, they have a great farm system, too, with more on the way. Overall depth of their pitching staff is, is much deeper. One Maybe the deepest in the big leagues. I, I say them and the Yankees both have if you even reach down into AAA. I, I use this top 20 pitchers in your organization. I think it's the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Mets, not so much in terms of the depth uh, situation, but they do have you know, our friend Chris Bassett, they do have Cookie Carrasco who's throwing the ball well this year. Another great story. It looks like he's back. His numbers seem to suggest that he is back. So, yeah, so it puts a lot of pressure on those guys, but they're veterans. They can they can handle it. But the Mets need somebody. You can put um, McGill in there, too, who's had some injury issues. So it's not just DeGrom and Scherzer. It's McGill as well, who's their young guy who, was, who provided the depth for them and was the comer, up-and-comer for them. So, yeah, I think it's the Mets. Easy. That's an easy answer. The Mets definitely – need Scherzer and DeGrom both back. Okay. It, it's the Mets, but I'll, I'll go the other way in a, in a small portion because not only do the, I think the Dodgers have the ability to weather the storm more, which I think is kind of what we were getting at here with this, with this Dodgers discussion, but the Mets have a bigger cushion in their division lead and the Dodgers have the Padres and giants nipping at their heels. Padres only a half game out going into Monday's action and the Giants are lurking five games back. So maybe uh, there's a little more pressure on them to, to keep the pace going and, and still sprint ahead of those two teams rather than the Mets who already have a good uh, eight game cushion. I'll tell you what, James, right off the top, I was about to say, man, don't overthink it here, but you could be onto something there because how many times in the past have we seen the Mets kind of just spiral at the same time right like go through some really bad lulls and you talk about the teams behind them the Phillies and the Braves there could be a lot of ground made up in a lot of short time now I think it's different because you have a guy like Buck Showalter running things here and I think those long dreadful periods are over I really do I think just because of his presence the culture change there I think stuff like that he's he's going to be able to drag his team out of any type of mud that they may find themselves in i don't know how real the rest of the competition is in the nl west so yeah i i, I, I thought for a second james like hey don't overthink it and then oh like yeah you, you bring up the good points with with the division leads i think the nl west there's a little bit more i think there's more question marks on the validity of those teams it could be wrong um but again we were talking about the braves before you think that they're gonna be able to figure it out uh, more efficiently than a team like the the Padres or the Giants. I could be wrong on that. That's just my opinion. It's a solid point you bring up, James. You know, without a doubt, you know, the, the divisions matter. The competition matters. So, yeah, it's, it's well said. And it's to the point that you made before, you get these wins in the bank, buys you yeah. a little more leeway. Guys, do you remember in the offseason we had our pitch draft and it was yes. based on the run value of 2022? Yes, yeah, well, I don't think we want to look at those results at the moment here at the 25% long season. mark. Yeah, it's long season. None of us had Chad Cool and his slider uh -huh. yes. as being the uh, the top pitch in um, run value, the, the lowest current run value at the moment in Major League Baseball. Chad Cool has been one of the better pitching stories around the league in 2022. He was the Pirates opening day starter last year. He missed some time. He returned last season as a reliever. Pittsburgh said that, hey, we want you to stay in the bullpen. He wanted to be a starting pitcher. So he went elsewhere. He signs a one-year deal with the Rockies. And you'd think, oh, man, you're trying to regain your footing and establishment as a major league starting pitcher. Coors Field may not be the best place to do that. But he's having a great start to the year. He's throwing his two-seamer way more than his four-seamer compared to seasons past. His slider, obviously, like we said, lowest current run value pitch in baseball. Is a simple change like 
ditch it a four-seamer in favor of a two-seamer, obviously increasing the ground ball percentage there. Is, is that as simple as it seems to people on the outside looking in when you try to evaluate pitching, David? It's, it's a, you know, it's not as easy as, as, as it seems. It depends on your release point. There's a lot of variables that go into fastball design, grips, you know, how the active spin, how efficient is the spin on the pitch. There's ways to measure these things now. It's not just some, you know, old pitching coach sitting on a stool barking at you with a chaw of tobacco going, hey, get out in front with it, you know, out here. You're hitting your heel, you know. It, it, we can measure these things. So, yeah, we go, we go to the data and, hey, here's, here's your efficiency. Here's your spin rate. Here's your vertical and horizontal movement. We can give you de definitive analysis on what your pitches look like, whether they're good, how they compare to other pitchers. Is it average, above average or not? The one thing with Chad Cool that I look at, there, you know, his slider, it's not like it's off the charts in terms of uh, vertical or horizontal movement compared to the average pitch. Now, this is you have to, you know, when you're evaluating pitches for run value, you have to factor in velocity. So when you, you when it's three inches, this horizontal movement is three inches more than the average pitch. That's factoring in velocity as well. So there's a little bit of an art to, to evaluating these pitches. It's not just about movement. It's about velocity combined with movement. So I look for broad-based strikeout rates. And with Chad Kuehl, you know, he's only got 30 strikeouts and 37 in the third innings. 27 of those strikeouts are on that slider. So he's only got three other strikeouts on his other pitches. I look, you know, That's not very broad based. I don't want to say one trick pony. It's a good pitch. It's a good slider. And maybe it's working in Coors Field because it's kind of tighter. It's not a big breaker. It's got a little bit of uh, a vertical, a little bit of horizontal movement. Uh, maybe his fastball plays better. And maybe there's a better tunneling effect because of his fastball usage now. But I worry that it's not broad based enough. He's not getting enough swing and misses with his other pitches. It's all slider, slider, slider eventually that kind of catches up with you. So you think it could return to the norm, perhaps? Possibly, possibly. Right. But, you know, it's, it's Coors Field. It's, you know, a lot of, you know, his last two starts against the Giants, he got beat up a little bit. He's given up 10 earned runs in his last two starts and both against really, you know, good offenses. So there's still, there's still sample size beware. Who, who's he faced? I mean, what, what are the opponent? What kind of offenses has he faced up to now? And his last two starts, he's, he got banged up pretty good by the Giants, who are a pretty good offensive team this year. Guys, you can slide into stacks of cash this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. If you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the baseball season, you can do it with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. You create your own parlay. You combine multiple bets like which team's going to win, how many bases will be stolen, total runs in the game. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SLAB, bet just five bucks, and get $150 in free bets no matter what happens on the field. That's promo code SLAB at DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and will be trademarks used with permission. All right, guys, through Sunday, starting pitchers, and this goes back to what we were talking about at the top, they're averaging, let me bring it up here, 5.21 innings pitched in the month of May. So May 1st through May 22nd, good three-week stretch here. That's according to Fangraph. So you say, oh, three weeks, kind of small sample size. But yeah, it's it's going to be different from April. That's for sure. But then you compare it to the same time frame, May 1st, May 22nd, to recent years, recent seasons here. I'll go through the numbers from Fangraphs. The starting pitcher average innings for May of 2021, May 1st to the 22nd, 5.14. Again, we're dealing with 5.21 this year. May of 2019, 5.32. May of 2018, 5.53. So it was obviously decreasing, and then it kind of spikes up just a bit here this May. We talked about it a little bit, but in terms of elaboration here, why do we think there's been a slight increase over these last three weeks, and does it portend to added increase in the weeks and months ahead? 
You know, we pay a lot of attention to this issue in the over over broad view or the broad view of the game itself. What's more entertaining? You, we've talked about it on here about buying tickets based on the starting pitcher. Who's pitching tonight? You know, back to uh, Koufax and Drysdale. Doc Gooden's pitching tonight. Wow. 1986. That's a ticket you had to have, right? I mean, when is he pitching? So yeah, that sentiment across the league. I think people are hearing this. They're understanding it. Is that impacting managers' decisions? Maybe a little bit, uh, culturally speaking, but I still think it goes back to what James said before. The, the run scoring environment is down, so it's easier to push your starting pitchers a little long longer. Uh, the workload coming off of the, the shortened spring in the first three weeks of the season was pretty heavy for relievers, so there's a bounce-back effect there. But, but, yes, I think managers are more inclined to buck the data just a little bit and try to let their pitchers, their starting pitchers, get through the third time in the order. And that's the magic That's the magic turnover, right? That's where all the data, that's where the rubber meets the road as far as data goes. Hey, third time through the order, red flag, red flag for managers. Says it right here. But you know what? There's, there's some pushback this year, Shaq. So it is valid. It is a watch, something to follow. And I think some managers, including the veteran guys like Showalter and La Russa and Dusty Baker, are more inclined to, Hey, I like what I see. Let me, let me steal some outs here. Let me push this guy a little bit farther down the road and see if he can get through six innings or so, or at least try. What I want to see in the coming weeks is once the bullpens get trimmed again, where you'll have one or two fewer guys back there, you're going to have to. Now you were talking about Oliver Marmol. He's right. You know, these pitchers in shorter bursts are going to be better than the starters. That's not a computer uh, programming thing. That's not a mystical experiment. That's a fact. But you can't do that every single day. So managers are going to have to be forced into leading with their starters a little more by having these roster restrictions. This is something that we've talked about and something that's been talked about for the last few years as far as how do we get more contact into the game? How do we, you know, press down on the skyrocketing strikeout rate, skyrocketing velocity, skyrocketing pitch movement? It's the endless parade of pitchers and the idea that there's so many guys that can fill this. Once you put in restrictions on the number of pitchers, you're going to have to have either pitchers go deeper into games as starters or relievers who are going to have less rest between outings and maybe they don't get as much rest between games. Maybe they throw more innings in their outings. So there's not going to be that full bore, full throttle. I'm going to have my 15 pitches and then have two days off. This is going to lead to more contact, starting pitchers going deep into games. And there's going to be a lot of uh, residual effects, as Coney mentioned before, that I think will be overall positive in, in, the, in the pitching environment. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, James. I think this is kind of like a soft launch period for the increase to go up even higher once the roster crunch comes again. And I just think that this is this is the beginning. And I'm I'm for it, obviously. We've talked about this before, but David, you you mentioned kind of like the sentimental influence that might be going on in certain decision makers. I, what do you think that is like 10% of the equation? Is that even too high or because, because if you, if you talked to me about this, like a year or two ago, I'd be like, come on, no way. Like 0%. That's not happening. What do you think? Like the, the, the sentimental influence is something that teams are seeing, or perhaps there are whispers from the league telling them, Hey, you know, open your eyes a little bit more. No, remember, remember what this specific position, the starting pitcher is about. Just keep that in mind. I'm not sure. I think it's just culturally, maybe a little push and pull from old school and new school mentalities, you know, going on. How do you, how do you quantify that? I don't know that you can, I'm not sure. And it's just a hunch that I have, but I think James hit the nail on the head in terms of the way you push it in that direction is restrict the rosters, restrict the number of pitchers you can have on a team. I think that's coming. There's been talk about that in the rules, even moving forward. So you can kind of see it if you read the tea leaves, that, that that's the direction they kind of want the game to go. If the baseball is not traveling as far, 
Uh, That's what I think a lot of managers worry about with starting pitchers the third time through the order is the the big three-run home run when you get fatigued. Maybe that's not as much of an issue this year, depending on which baseball's in your hand. (laughs) That's still, you know, is it the one that flies or the one that dies in my hand when I'm throwing this pitch as a starter the third time through the order? So, yeah, no, it's just a hunch. I I don't have any basis, in fact, for that, uh, Shaq, but I just sense that in some of the managers I've talked to, before games and working the Sunday night gig, a little bit of a culture shift or a little bit of a, you know what, we need to, uh, to, to get our, get more out of our starters because our, our relievers are getting overused and overworked. And when you overuse and overwork your bullpen, boy, that is, as, as James said earlier, but that can change in a hurry. Bullpens can change one injury. One guy gets overworked. Next thing you know, you've got a problem and, and your bullpen starting to implode. It's promising to hear because you talk about your, you know, your conversations that you're having around the league. Bottom line is baseball ops still rule the world in each individual team. So a slight tide may be turning just a little bit and into into tide here. And and it could lead to bigger things moving forward. Um, Was it kind of a, a forced influence with restrictions in terms of how many pitchers one team can carry? Perhaps bottom line is, we're here, right? We're here at this point. And it, it, it may be a reality. And the data, at least for this portion of May, shows that, again, the starting workloads are increasing. And I think it's a good thing. Um, I think it's, it's cool to see, like I said earlier, 11 pitchers complete seven innings in one game. I mean, in, in one day around the league. It, I, that number blew me away. I can't remember the last time it probably happened earlier this season and we didn't, you know, notice it, but I can't for the life of me think that a day passed in 2021 where there were double digit starting pitchers throwing at least uh, seven innings in, in one day. Yeah. The, you know, the schedule's condensed a little bit, the late start, middle of April, the lockout going back to how we started the season, the Yankees are in the midst of, I think three weeks in a row, they're playing a game every day. So yeah, mm-hmm. that, the schedule impacts it, weather, rainouts, that everything has a bearing on it to where, wow, we got a game every day for three weeks. We got to get, you got to go six innings. So you got to, we need our starter to get a little deeper here. It's, it's, it's cause and effect. You can, you can see it in real time happening. Okay, guys, this week in pitching history, James, what do we have? All right, guys, May 26th, 1959, 63 years ago, Thursday, Pittsburgh Pirates. And Milwaukee Braves at County Stadium. Maybe the unluckiest game in pitching history. Harvey Haddix of the Pirates has a perfect game going against the Braves, shutting down guys like Hank Aaron and Eddie Matthews. There's one problem. The Pirates haven't scored a run off a looper debt either. So Haddix is perfect through nine innings, but he doesn't have a perfect game. He goes one, two, three in the 10th, and one, two, three in the 11th, and one, two, three in the 12th. He's 36 up, 36 down. Perfect for 12 innings, but nothing to show for it. And he'd only thrown 104 pitches in 12 innings, by the way. Pirates don't score in the top of the 13th. So Lou Burdett, credit to him with 13 shutout innings. In the bottom of the inning, the leadoff batter, Felix Mantilla, hits a grounder to third baseman Don Hoke. He throws into the dirt. E5, breaks up the perfect game. Still has the no-hitter going, though. Eddie Matthews, the Hall of Famer, bunts the runner over to second. And then they intentionally walk Hank Aaron to set up the double play. Joe Adcock, a great slugging first baseman of the, of the time, he comes up and he drills one into the right center field seats to win the game for the Braves. No perfect game, no no-hitter, and Haddix loses. Oddly enough, it wasn't a home run because Aaron didn't realize the ball was out, so he ran off the field. So only the first run from second base counted. So it was a one-nothing win. But Harvey Haddix, one of the most brilliant and unluckiest games a guy could have in major league history. Now, there are a lot of weeks where James's this week in pitching history is something that I've never heard before. I know this one in, you know, I've uh, Harvey Haddix is an, is a name that David, I'm sure you growing up, you know, you, you know, just a familiar name, but I know about, about this, this date, this, this feat here. Um, yeah. I mean, and Harvey Haddix was an excellent pitcher, not just a guy who, you know, found it on this one particular day. I think he said, like, I could put a, I could have put a cup on every side of 
you know, on each side of the plate and, you know, hit it every time or something like that. But wacky game, wacky. Let me get that quote while you guys go here. Cause I don't want to Harvey Haddix. What a great name, right? sounds like a movie villain almost. Yeah. <laughs> Harvey Haddix. Top henchman in a 007 film. <laughs> yes. No, yeah. Haddix was a, an all-star, a three-time all-star. He, he won three gold gloves. He was on the 1960 Pirates uh, World Series team, but uh, his his shining moment ended up being a loss. And, and poor Harvey, you know, maybe it was just the emotion of the moment. But he he said after the game, "Oh, it's just another loss." <laughs> he goes, "I could have put a cup on either corner of the plate and hit it." And then Bill Mazeroski said, because Haddix was so dominant, right? He said, usually you have one or two great or spectacular defensive plays in these no-hitters. Not that night. It was the easiest game I ever played. <laughs> so, The funny thing is, because, you know, we don't have pitch-by-pitch data very much. You know, we have playoff games before 1988, but usually the pitch count era, as far as the data, the public data goes, is like 1988. We actually have the Paddock's pitch counts in the box score for that game, and there are a lot of four-pitch and seven-pitch and eight-pitch innings. And like I said, he only... He only had uh, 104 pitches in 12 innings going into that. And then he threw 11 more in the, uh, in the fateful unlucky 13. So he had that 13 inning game and he only threw 115 pitches. I got something else from this website that I'm, you know, I looked up for, for Harvey Haddix in this game. He said after the game, Haddix received many letters and congratulations and support as well as one, from a fraternity at Texas A&M, which read in its entirety on university stationery, Dear Harvey, tough shit. Haddock <laughs> <laughs> said it made him mad until I realized that they were right. That's exactly what it was. <laughs> Don't feel sorry for yourself. Nobody else is going to. That's for sure. Guys, you can slide into stacks of cash this baseball season with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets no matter what, win or lose. If you're looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the baseball season, you can do it with DraftKings Same Game Parlays. You create your own parlay. You combine multiple bets like which team's going to win, how many bases will be stolen, total runs in the game. It's your shot at an even bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. And best of all, you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code SLAB, bet just five bucks, and get $150 in free bets no matter what happens on the field. That's promo code SLAB at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of Major League Baseball. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details and will be trademarks used with permission. All right, guys, three up, three down. What do we have this week? Uh, James, let's go with you again. Start us off here, bud. All right. Uh, we've mentioned Adley Rutschman, the phenom young catcher coming up to make his major league debut over the weekend. One thing that I thought was pretty cool is that he has this tradition that he's been doing since he was a kid. When he's catching, after each inning, he goes out and greets the pitcher, and then they kind of go off together. And he said it's something that he's done to – to kind of spark uh, chemistry camaraderie between the, the pitcher and the catcher. And I thought that was a pretty cool thing. What do you think of that, Coney? I like that a lot. Um, pitchers can be, can be, uh, you know, flaky. I've said that before. Pitchers are flakes. If you're a catcher, you almost have to be a psychoanalyst along with a great game caller and blocker and thrower and everything and hit a couple home runs too. you know, be, be a good offensive player. So it's, it's an interesting job, but yes, it, it does. Pitchers do need that. It's their day to pitch, especially starters. This is my day. I got to wait a week to pitch. If I feel connected or I feel like he cares. Yeah. It may matter something there, there. There's intangible value there. Hard, hard to put your finger on hard to quantify, but it, it does matter. I applaud Adley Rushman. That's why he's so uh, well-regarded. That's why he was the number one pick. And that, that's why they, he's a franchise t- uh, type player because of his, it's not just his talent and his skill level. It's his makeup. And the, the, that goes right to the heart of makeup right there. Uh, character. You know, I love, I love the sound of that. I also thought it was so cool when he came out for his first game over the weekend and literally stood behind home plate and did a quick 360 and took a deep breath in and took the moment in. I thought it was awesome to see. Love it. Yeah. 
David, what do you have for us? Three up, three down. Well, I want to throw some love, you know, obviously towing the slab, you know, who are we going to highlight? Well, there's a, we had Casey Mize on earlier and we were talking about the Detroit Tigers taking the next step this year. They're young pitching Matt Manning, part of that as well. They signed Eduardo Rodriguez, who's had some injury issues, but the guy who's left standing, who's really stepping up this year is Tariq Skubal, who's a young 25-year-old lefty, had a little bit of growing pains the last couple of years as he got his feet wet in the big leagues. But this year, pretty broad-based success. I think he's figuring some things out. And when, when we were talking about Chad Cool uh, earlier, uh, you know, all the strikeouts off his slider, not really broad-based in terms of his – swing and miss potential, just the opposite for Scooble. Scooble's got a 2.22 ERA going, but he's also got uh, 50 strikeouts in 44 and two-thirds innings. And you look at the the broad-based nature of his strikeouts, 14 on sliders, 11 on four-seamers, 12 on sinkers, eight on change-ups, five on curveballs. Boy, that, that lights me up. He's got a lot of different weapons to go to. He's learning how to mix and match them and work them together. And he's getting strikeouts with all of his pitches. That, to me, is a bingo, bingo, ding, ding, ding moment. Uh, Tariq Skubal's for real. And a young power lefty. None of his pitches really jump out at you in terms of profile, but all of them together look pretty good, and he's learning how to use them. And he's having success with all of his pitches across the board, five pitches. One thing that jumped out to me there is that his walk rate has really gone down this year too. It was 7.4% last year, which was good. It's better than average. Average is in the mid eights. If you're looking for an average walk rate this year, it's 4.6. So he's cut that a lot too, while also ticking up the strikeout rate. Great sign. He's right around the top 10 in the American league in, in whip and strikeouts. He's uh he's a becoming a fun young pitcher to watch here. And like you said, he was kind of like that. I don't want to call him a third wheel, but so much was talked about with Manning and Mize and Scooble was kind of forgotten about. If you weren't a Detroit Tigers fan, I'm sure there are a lot of passionate Tiger fans who were kind of waiting for this. And now they're happy to see Tarek Scooble thriving here, figuring things out as a, as a big league pitcher, uh, a guy who's also figured it out. And who I'm going to go with, with three up, three down, Michael Kopech. He is uh, at the top of the leaderboard in a lot of pitching categories. He's uh, he's second in the league in earned run average, third in whip. He's averaging the lowest hits per nine in the league. Hasn't given up a, a home run yet this season, but he was pitching on Sunday night baseball, the second game of that doubleheader between the White Sox and the Yankees. And something really cool happened with Michael Kopech. He allowed just one hit in seven innings against New York but he retired the first 14 batters that he faced. And there were whispers of a perfect game starting before it got broken up in the, the sixth inning. We got to that point where we're like, hey, let's, I mean, this is something here, but guys consider this in his last start, which was also against the Yankees. Michael Kopech retired the final 13 batters he faced. So do the math. You roll that over Kopech retired 27 straight hitters between two starts, the same team, the Yankees. So, hey, he was perfect, maybe not in one full game, but he was perfect for 27 outs against the same team. I thought that was pretty cool. And in between those two starts, he and his wife welcomed a new baby boy on Friday. His, uh, his new son, his second son, his name is Vander. So welcome to the world, Vander Kopech. He came off the paternity list, did Michael to pitch that game on Sunday night. And well, he was perfect for 27 outs against the same team. Just came over two separate outings. Very different. Very cool. Very cool. Explosive stuff. Uh, you know, a, a high velocity fastball with high spin. That's what makes his fastball so explosive up in the zone. So, yes, it, it was for real. And you're right, Jack. We were watching. His pitch count was under control. It was like, wow, this this could be something here at Yankee Stadium. And then, of all people, the guy, that, that the backup catcher who was in AAA, to start the day had to quickly get to the Bronx and he's the guy Brantley who breaks up the no-no or the perfect game. So, you know, that's, uh, that's there's a t-shirt there with John Sterling saying on it somewhere. So yes, it's, <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in a, in a game of baseball. That's why there's only 23 of those perfect games that you pitched there, Coney. That's right. Takes it takes some some fortune, that's for sure. The the, the how, whatever you believe in, the stars aligning, uh, puka shells, superstitions. <laughs> Pedro Serrano, whatever you believe in, something's out there that's got to happen in your favor for, for, for you to be able to be part of history like that. 
Yeah, even when you take uh, something like a perfect game and no hitter into the seventh inning, you may think that the finish line is close. It's probably as far away as it could be at that moment between the building pressure and everyone starting to get a sense of what you're actually doing out on the mound. And uh, like you said, James, that's why there's only been 23 of those perfectos. So I thought it was really cool, though, that he was able to do it in uh, in within one week, within two starts against the same team. And all that happening as he welcomes his second son into the world. So this is a mem- very memorable week for one of the top pitchers going right now in the game. All right, 25% of the way through, guys. Let's see what happens the next 25%. We're going to be here talking about it. That is for sure. That's going to do it for us this week. Quick reminder, we have new episodes coming out every single week, either Tuesdays or Wednesdays. If you want to rate, review, and subscribe, it's the best way that you can show your support to the show. Tell with the slab pitching with David Cohn is a production of John Boy Media. We'll talk to you next week, everybody. Take care.